It's good to be with you today. We are uh, continuing our series that we just started together on worship in the church. And so uh, trust that uh, this will help you as you join in in our worship. Uh, If you're serving in our worship ministry or even in our slides and sound ministry also, this is especially for you. But uh, even if you're in children's ministry uh, or in any other uh, ministry where there's singing involved, this is important for you to understand. And then for the rest of us, uh, just on your every Sunday uh, joining with the saints, you need to know what we come and do together. And uh, that is we come to worship. And so uh, if you're going to make the most out of every Sunday, you need to understand this essential doctrine. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at the priorities of worship, the priority of worship. Uh, You know, there's plenty of questions when you think about what's called often worship wars um, in a church where, you know, half the congregation wants to sing hymns. Half wants to sing contemporary songs. The other half wants to sing psalms. Uh, the other half wants to, you know, have an electric guitar. The other one wants to have an organ and everything in between. What do we do? Uh, how do we process that? Uh, I think some some groundwork uh, and some more fundamental questions need to be answered. Is are things like uh, what's the place of worship in the church? How important is it? How important is the worship, the singing of praises uh, in the local body? And if it is important to every church, what does God say are the most important things about worship? If, if it is really a high priority in the local church, then, uh, then how do we do that rightly? If it's so important, we've got to make sure and do that right. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first point on your notes is the prominence of worship. The prominence of worship. And this is pointing, pointing to uh, the overwhelming emphasis of the singing of praises in the life of God's people. There is an overwhelming emphasis Uh, evidence and call upon God's people to sing praises to God. Uh, A few, well, more than a few verses. Psalm 7, 17. I will give thanks to Yahweh according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of Yahweh most high. So we see sing praise. And then again, Psalm 9, 2. Uh, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And then later on in Psalm 911, sing praises to Yahweh. That's a command. Sing praises to Yahweh who abides in Zion, declare among the peoples his acts. And then Psalm 13, verse 6, I will sing to Yahweh. So there's a commitment there. I, 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 I vow, I, I, res- I am resolved to sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. And then uh, Psalm 18, 49. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Yahweh, and I will sing praises 
to your name. So there is a public aspect to the singing of praises. And then Psalm 27, verse 6, And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in this tent sacrifices with loud shouts of joy. I will sing, and I will sing praises to Yahweh. And so uh, it, it, uh, worship, uh, singing of praises to God, is, is to be done in the sanctuary of God, in the presence of God, and it's to be uh, exuberant. Uh, Psalm 30, verse 4, says, sing praises to Yahweh. Again, another command. Sing praise to Yahweh, you his holy ones. So this is a specific command, not just a general thing for, you know, all people should worship God because he's worthy. There's a direct command to the people of God, his holy ones, and give thanks for the remembrance of his holy name. And the list goes on, really, in the Old Testament and in the New. You see, Christianity is a singing religion. Christianity is a singing religion. Christians are to be a singing people. It's so prominent in the Bible. It's so prominent in the life of the people of God that it is a mark of a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And one of the most prominent ways where you worship Christ is through the singing of praises. Now we're going to see that uh, worship is all of life. You can worship while you work, right? You don't just whistle while you work, you worship while you work. Um, you can worship uh, taking care of the home uh, and the children. You can worship um, through your schoolwork. You can worship in your relationships and your conversations. Uh, your whole life can be a perpetual sacrifice of, of worship to God. But specifically, most specifically, and most fundamental, is that to worship Christ is to sing His praises. This is what it means to be a Christian. Uh, one author writes, Richard Baxter writes conceive of this duty of praise of praising god according to its superlative excellencies as being the highest service that the tongue of men or angels can perform so he says think about singing uh, according to how excellent and how uh, uh, how high of a position it's given because it is the highest service that the tongue of men or angels can perform. I mean, you look uh, in Isaiah 6, you look at Revelation, you, you look uh, at these passages that deal with angels, the angelic beings. What are they doing? They're singing praises to God. And you look at the culmination of all of history in Revelation 5, and what are the saints doing? They're singing a new song to God all throughout Revelation. So this is the culmination of everything, is to worship the Lord. Uh, Richard Master goes on, to bless or praise or magnify God is not to make Him greater or better or happier than He is, but to declare and extol His greatness, goodness, and felicity. 
Felicity is the idea of happiness or blessedness. So when we worship God, we're not making him more glorious. We're just acknowledging what he is. And that is the highest calling of the Christian. There's nothing past worship. Uh, You think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are saved so that you can worship God. That's the ultimate end, is his glorification. The ultimate end of creation is the glory of God, right? And so even in our salvation, you're adopted, you're justified, all these wonderful doctrines of salvation, but those are a means unto an end. The ultimate reality of the Christian life is not justification. It's central, it's key But it leads unto, it it opens the door to worship of God. And once you get there, there's no step past worshiping God. I don't worship God in order to fill in the blank. Worship of God must be ultimate. Because it is the ultimate act. It is the most supreme and ultimate act. Of creation. So what does that mean in practically? Um, So when you come on a Sunday. And you sing praises. You don't sing praises in order to feel good. Right? You don't sing praises in order to. uh, You know for yourself to, to feel better. Then because if that's true. Worship isn't the ultimate end. You are. God isn't the focus. You are. Now, when you worship and God is ultimate, then, of course, I, 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 I feel better because I am forgetting about myself and I'm fixated on Christ. Of course, that's going to make you feel better because it's getting you thinking right. But if you're worshiping in order to feel better, uh, then, then uh, God does not honor that. He does not receive that. Worship is ultimate. So, another question connected to this is, if worship is ultimate, can we say then that, the, that worship singing, the singing of praises in the church, is more important than the preaching of the word then? Since worship is going to be going on forever, and as we're going to see later on, since worship is the ultimate reality, ultimate act, then isn't it more important than preaching? Shouldn't we sing longer than the pastor preaches? Well, the answer is no. Sorry. Uh, the reason is uh, verses like 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. So what's going to help us to keep walking is uh, to be continually reminded what truths we place our faith upon and the person on whom we place our faith. Uh, Preaching is of greater necessity now uh, because there will... 
be in heaven, there will be no need for lessons or sermons about Christology. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. So, right now, the, 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 the realm in which we live, this, this life on this earth, in this fallen world, uh, we need to be instructed because right now we only see in the mirror dimly. Right now we only know in part. So we need to be growing in that understanding. Uh, so though worship is more ultimate, you could say, though the singing of praises is more permanent than preaching, preaching is more necessary for today. It is how God speaks to his people. And then the singing of praises is how God's people speak back to God as a response. And so when we get to heaven, there will be no need for a preacher because we'll have Christ speaking to us, instructing us, right? Walking and living among us. And so they, uh, the idea is uh, the middleman is cut out, you could say, which is me. <laughs> the middleman is cut out, and I can't wait for that day where we just get to receive directly from Christ. Uh, but for now, uh, we need to hear from God because we need to live in this world. We are walking by faith, not by sight. And we need to continue to be instructed so that we can worship rightly. Because if all we did was show up and sing songs and have a 10 or 15 minute talk, then the, what would happen is all that worship, quote unquote, that's happening would would slowly but surely begin to be off course and uh, wrongly informed. And we would begin to be involved in false worship. So, that's the prominence of worship. It is incredibly prominent. It's, it's a major part of the Christian life for each and every one of us. It's a major part of the Christian church but it has its place within the local church. It is incredibly important. Next to the pulpit uh, of, uh, of the Word of God, the singing of praises is the next most important thing that the church does on any given Sunday. All right. Secondly, if that's true, then what are the principles of worship? What are the principles of worship? And this is what I wanted to get to uh, towards the end of last week, but we didn't have time. So I'm glad that we have plenty of time to go uh, through this and not rush. John 4. John 4. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's John 4.24. An essential verse for worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, we spoke last week about the invitation of worship, and we pointed to the fact that uh, God was having this conversation with the Samaritan woman. 
And he invites this uh, Samaritan woman who has her understanding of God all, all twisted and wrong because of uh, her upbringing and, and, and the teaching of the Samaritan people, as well as her lifestyle is one of selfishness and idolatry and uh, hewing for herself cisterns instead of going to the fountain of living water, who is God uh, a life full of sin, and you have even to this woman, the Samaritan woman that the Jews considered were unclean to even talk with, Jesus sits down with at the well and has a, has a conversation with her. And not only that, but invites her to drink of the living water that, that he provides. So he offers her salvation. He offers her an opportunity to know what she worships and to and to be a follower of Christ, and to worship God truly. So the invitation of worship, we looked at that last week, and then also the place of worship, we looked at last week. Not on this hill or that hill, but uh, uh, essentially uh, spirit and truth meaning you. right? So the location of worship, the place of worship, is not uh, you know, at the building of Redeemer Bible Church or any other cathedral or, or, or location. The place of worship is the place of the people of God. Wherever the people of God are, that's a place where worship can and does happen. Now, today we're going to be looking at the principles of worship. The principles of worship, and, and we're looking at spirit and truth. Those are the two points there, A and B. Spirit and truth. What are we talking about? What is Jesus saying here? Those who worship, excuse me, those who worship God must worship Him. How? In spirit and in truth. This is the essence of true worship. Spirit and truth is the essence of true worship. Your mind and your heart must be engaged when you sing praises. Both mind and heart must be engaged holistically when you sing praises. Specifically, your knowledge of God, the Father, in Jesus Christ, must inform and inflame your spirit as you sing his praises in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's a trinity work, right? It's a triune work. Your knowledge of God the Father in Jesus Christ, what you understand about God and, and his Son, will inform and not just inform so you sing the right lyrics, but inflame your worship. Give it life. Give it vitality. It will inf- and, and give it passion. It will inflame your, your spirit as you sing his praises in the power of the Holy Spirit. So your spirit and the Holy Spirit are working in cooperation in this act of worship. This is the essence. Uh, spirit and truth. So it's not organ or piano, right? It's not electric guitar or acoustic guitar. It's, it's not 
drums and bass. Right? It's not this location or that location. It's not, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, hymns and Chris Tomlin. That's not what he says. It's spirit and truth. It's spirit and truth. If a church is worshiping in spirit and truth, then they're worshiping rightly. They may not sing the exact same songs as you do. It may not look or sound exactly the same as you or us. But if they're worshiping in spirit and truth, then they're worshiping rightly. Richard Baxter says, uh, Overvalue not the manner of your own worship, and overvilify not other men's worship of a different mode. So what he's saying is basically don't think that you have it just right and people can only worship the way you worship. Right? And when people worship differently than you, don't uh, think evil or ill of them. Right? So, so just because they're not worshiping the way you are doesn't mean that they're wrong or they're off. Or something's the, something's the matter with them. So don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think think too lowly of someone else. All right, let's get into the details. Worship in spirit is first. Spirit. So again, here it's not this hill or that hill. The context is, uh, you know, my fathers, our fathers worship on this mountain. You, your fathers say that you must worship on this mountain, the mountain of Jeru- in Jerusalem. And Christ's response is, no, spirit. You worship in spirit. So what Christ is doing here is uh, he is delocalizing. Delocalizing. Let me write that down. <laughs> Delocalizing. This is what God. This is what Christ is doing, and He's delocalizing it by emphasizing spirit. How does He do that? Well, God is spirit. The Bible says. I mean, well, the verse. This is the the main text that we go to, but there's other. Uh, passages that agree with this, Christ, or Christ, yeah, Christ says God is spirit in John four twenty four. Uh, let's let's look at that. God is he. This is what he leads with. God is spirit, and then therefore those who worship him must worship in spirit. Right. So, what about God being spirit? Uh, uh, therefore requires us to worship in spirit. What it means is is God is spirit. That means he is immaterial. That's what spirit means. That's the idea. He is a spirit. He He does not have a body. God does not have hands or arms or eyes. So all of those, you know, psalms that talk about his hand and his eyes, those are metaphors, those are personifications. Those are communicating a reality. He doesn't actually have physical eyes. Because why? 
He's spirit. God is spirit. And so if that's true, if, if God is immaterial, uh, let me write that down. If God is immaterial, then true worship is immaterial. It's immaterial. Or it's, it, it involves the inner man. Your soul, your spirit. Uh, my old pastor, uh, C. Fernandez, says, Christ delocalizes, deinstitutionalizes, and dematerializes worship. It's good. Delocalize, deinstitutionalize, and dematerializes worship. Well, then does that mean that we don't have to be here and you know, we don't have to go to church to worship? That's, that's a whole other lesson of the importance of worship in the local body as a local body. And, and there are clear commands to do that and benefits to it as well. So what Christ is doing, he is emphasizing the heart, the soul. And this isn't the only place where he does this. Matthew 15 7 through 9 says, uh, Jesus re re responding to uh, the Pharisees, You hypocrites, he says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. What did he prophesy? This. Uh, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commands of men. So there's plenty of teaching, there's plenty of truth and doctrines, right? There's, plenty, there, there's, there's all, all, all sorts of instruction and classes and, and, and everything else. But he's saying, uh, it's all in vain. It's all empty. Vain is, is the idea that on, on the outside, on the surface, it's nice. It has a nice veneer to it, but it's really just empty. It's like uh, going to a furniture store, paying thousands of dollars for, for a china cabinet. You take it home, and it's delivered to your home, and you find that uh, you pay thousands of dollars for a particle board with just this, this, this sticker that looks, like a, uh, that looks like solid wood on the front. And it's just a sticker. It's just adhesive and a, and a film, just a picture of wood. And it's, it's worthless. You, you overpaid. Right? It's not real wood. It's not solid wood. That's the idea. It looks nice. It has the, the, the appearance of worship, but it's not really the substance of worship. There's no value to it. That is how God considers uh, worship where the heart is far away. It doesn't matter what you do with your lips. It doesn't matter if you get the right doctrine. Right? That's why it's not just those who worship must worship in truth. It's spirit and truth. See? So it's not just truth. Truth is essential. We'll get there. But, um, but, but you can say all the right things. You can sing the right lyrics. You can go to the right church. But your heart is just at home, in bed. Or it's, uh, it, it's, it's at 
Oracle Arena, <laughs> or it's at you know the 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 San Francisco uh, uh, Coliseum. Well, I don't think that's what it is anymore. Uh, it, it, it's it's in Santa Clara, right? Or it's um, you know it's it's at lunch. <laughs> Your heart is at lunch and 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 with friends. Or it's at home with all your troubles, right? God wants your heart to be near to him, Christian. If your heart is detached, if your passions, your, your loves, your affections are detached from what you're doing on a Sunday morning, and that I would say that that includes, and that's the context here in this verse, that includes the preaching, Right? It includes the preaching, not just the singing, but the preaching as well. If your heart is detached, it's empty. God sees it as just, it has the nice picture of solid wood, but inside it's just worthless. It's, it might as well be cardboard. There's no value. God does not value your singing if you come here without the right heart. If you come here just to go through the motions, that's a mockery. That is, well, he says it here, that is hypocritical, right? If we really get down to it, just going through the motions and your heart's not there, you're a hypocrite. And, and isn't that often the, the accusation that the world has against us? Well, maybe part of it is, is because it's true. Maybe part of that accusation is it, there's truth in there because we're so used to just going through the motions and just being like the Pharisees. Yeah, and it's seen. Because we do something here, but then at home we're something else. Yes. Singing must be from the heart. Um. Our instrument of praise. Another way to think about this. You know, we have the band up here and they play their instruments, right? What's your instrument? Well, we're going to see uh, that uh, the, the main instrument on every Sunday morning is the instrument of the voices of God's people. That's even more prominent than the band, right? There's a whole philosophy and there's a whole... Uh, uh, you know, collection of verses and biblical direction for that. But that's another, another lesson. But another way we can think about this is that you play an instrument every Sunday, and that instrument is your heart. Your instrument is, involves your heart. Ephesians 5, 19 says, Speaking the truth to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So you're singing praises, and it's not just singing praises with your voice. It's, but he gets to the, to, the, to the real essence of it, which is what he's getting this from Jesus, right? Singing praises and making melody, not with your vocal cords, but with your heart, right? With your heart. And the idea is from your heart. So it's not, you know, well, okay, this means I don't have to sing with my vocal cords. This means I don't have to sing out. No, the, the, the Greek is sing out of your heart, right? 
It's, your heart is the source, the wellspring of this worship and praise. And then Colossians 3.16, the parallel passage. Uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. So it's not just singing to God, it's singing with gratitude, and it's singing with gratitude in your heart. So out of a thankful heart, God's people must sing. Uh, to make melody, uh, back in Ephesians 5, to make melody, uh, it's interesting. That literally means to pluck or to strum like you would on a guitar. To pluck or strum as you would with a stringed in- instrument, a guitar or a, or a violin or as a piano plucks uh, the, the strings with the weights. Here, the instrument is strumming or plucking and making a melody, making music from your heart, not from an instrument. Your instrument, Christian, is your heart. So this is an inward cherishing of God as my greatest good. An inward cherishing of God is my greatest good, and then my heart is just there bursts forth a sweet melody of praise, of satisfaction, of gratitude. Uh, John Lightfoot says, singing calls up the soul into such a posture and does, as it were, awaken it, awaken the soul. It is a lively rousing up of the heart. So when, when Jesus is telling us to, to worship in spirit, what he's saying is there needs to have this, this awakening of the soul. Your soul needs to be awake. No drowsy souls in the, in the worship of God. Uh, it's lively and, and rouse, rousing up. It, it, it's, it's a vibrant uh, singing. It should not be uh, just, we're, we're not at a funeral when we, when we gather on a Sunday morning. Let me put it that way. We're not at a funeral on Sunday mornings, right? We, we are at a celebration. Well, and this goes back to the, the, reason, the whole reason why we gather on Sunday mornings and not Saturday uh, as uh, Jews do. Well, the reason is because it has the, the day of worship for, the God, for God's people has moved to Sunday because that's when Christ rose from the dead. Amen. And so the reality is every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I mean, that feeds right into the mood, right? The mindset that we come on Sunday morning, it is where I'm coming to celebrate. My heart maybe is fighting to celebrate, to thank God, but I know I got to go to, you know, if my heart is going to get aligned with where it needs to be. Any questions or thoughts before we move on to truth? Any thoughts or questions about spirit and how that fleshes out or
Anything else? Yeah, if it's coming from the heart, like you're deep, what, what excites you the most, right? And uh, if you don't have something to celebrate, or if you don't think you have something to celebrate, you need to get back in the Word, right? And you need to get your mind right and your heart right uh, so that you are thinking rightly. And if you're thinking rightly, I got tons to celebrate. I have tons to be thankful for. I have plenty of, uh, of things about Christ and God to worship. Any other thoughts or questions? How about to the one who, who said that I don't have a good singing voice mm. and I'm embarrassed or I just don't want to sing out? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the question is what, what if I don't have a good singing voice? You know? Um, what if I don't? You know, it sound good. I'm self-conscious. Uh, and so that's why I don't sing out. I don't want to do that. Uh, well, uh, God tells us uh, to, to lift up a joyful noise, doesn't he, in Scripture? So it's not perfect melody. It's not the exact note that he demands. It's a joyful noise. Uh, even earlier on, Psalm 27, verse 6, uh, come and offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. So, you know, just, just holler. <laughs> just shout, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, and, and this goes back to, uh, well, uh, Ephesians 5, 9, excuse me, 519. There's a reason why it says making melody with your hearts, right? If God said make melody with your voice, then we would, have, we would be able to say, well, you're not making melody with your voice. It's not really melodic, right? It's not nice. God says, I don't care about that. I, I, I want, I, what I delight in is that your heart, as it were, are, are, are singing, the, your heart is singing the right notes. That there's a brokenness and a contriteness of heart. There's, there's humility and that there's satisfaction in me, that there's love and joy in Christ. Those are the notes that your heart has to hit. Worship and adoration, awe, fear, devotion. Those are the notes. And, but those are notes of the heart, not of your vocal cords. So I would say, God doesn't care. If your heart is in the right place, he will accept your worship better than the opera singer who is just performing. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Any other thoughts or questions?
does say that our hearts are deceitful above all else. So if we're trusting in our heart to quote unquote worship without, you know, running to preaching or to the preaching of the word, then that's kind of how you were saying our worship can become a false worship. Mm-hmm. So I was just, yeah, just thinking about that in the sense of, I guess it makes sense why we need to be uh, under God's word uh, mm. the, or the truthful preaching of his word, right? And yeah. then with that comes out the true worship. That's right, yeah. Our, our, our worship is a response to the truth. And, and the truth is, provides guardrails from false worship as well. And that's a good lead into our next point. Uh, God says, Christ says, uh, that those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So let's look at truth now. Truth. Uh, John Piper uh, says that worship is to be undergirded by a deep theology of God's grace and infinite goodness. So theology holds up worship. And that's part of the reason why uh, we have equipping hours. I want you to worship better. This is a service to God's people. This is why we you know, dive deeply in, in a sermon. This is why we don't just skip on the surface, right, of, of just kind of just what's there at the surface level. We, we get a little deeper into doctrine and, and, and uh, you could say, meatier things. Why? It's because that will undergird the worship of God's people. If the preaching is that shallow, the worship is that shallow, right? Uh, Ephesians 5, 11, or 5 uh, 19 to 20. It says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father. So we see here that uh, truth, again, undergirds worship. Truth undergirds worship. What are you saying? So what happens here on a Sunday morning? The, the, as the band and the worship leader leads us, that is a speaking ministry. It's a, it's a word ministry. And that's why we don't let just anybody serve in the band. It's because there has to be a life that backs up what's said. Right? Especially the lead, the lead worshiper. There must be character that backs up what is said because something is being said. It's the same principle as we don't just let anybody fill the pulpit. It has to be an elder qualified man. Why? Because it has to be a man of character who backs up what he's saying. So it is with the worship because it is a word-based ministry. We are speaking to one another. The, the band, the worship leader, and I involved in, that, in those decisions and, and choices for songs and things like that, we are literally putting words into our mouth, right? And often you remember the songs more than you do the sermon, right? I, mean, I know that that's, that's just part of the, the reality of it because it's, some of them are catchy and they just stick. 
And there is a truth then. There's goodness about that because, I mean, what are you going to, what's going to be with you on your deathbed? Those few verses that you've memorized and that have stuck, and then those sweet songs that are just, you know, part of your life track, you know, your, your life playlist. Uh, those sweet hymns and, and songs, those are going to be what's there in those dark hours. Uh, so, uh, worship and singing of praises is a word-based ministry. We're speaking to one another. Uh, also, it under, truth undergirds our worship because we're always giving thanks for all things. Right? So, I'm giving thanks for this. I'm giving thanks for that. I'm giving thanks for this. I'm giving... So I'm, you're able to go down the list of all the things that God has done and all the things that God is, right? And that informs your thankfulness. I'm thankful for all of these things. And that undergirds. I'm, and that list, that's truth. That's doctrine. I'm thankful that God is omniscient, that he's omnipresent. I'm thankful that he is my shepherd. I'm thankful that he is my guide and my fortress. I'm thankful that, that he is my creator and the sustainer of my life. I'm thankful that he's my provider. That's theology. And then I'm thankful that Christ died for me. I'm thankful for justification and forgiveness and adoption and, and, and acceptance. I'm thankful for my redemption. I'm thankful for having peace with God. That is soteriology. That's theology, right? And so, and so if you only know, I'm, you know, I'm thankful that Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Which is profound, and that'll get you to heaven. I mean, don't get me wrong, right? I mean, you know you're a sinner and you repent and you place your faith in Christ. A child can believe that and go to heaven, Right? So, so, yes, that's all you need to be saved, but then there's the whole breadth and, and depth to uh, the rest of truth, where if, if, if you just stay a baby Christian, then your worship is shallow. But then if, you're, if, if your understanding of biblical truth becomes deeper, you become a deeper worshiper. Yeah, you receive the meat. Uh, and, and not only that, but you're singing these songs and, you, and verses are coming to mind. I don't know if that happens to you. It happens to me. I'm singing songs and it's reminding me of truths. It's reminding me of, of the whole doctrine. And these verses are coming to mind. Uh, songs like, not in me. Not in me, but, but only you, right? So I'm thinking depravity of man. I'm thinking the fallenness. I'm thinking Romans 7, you know, uh, that, that I... That I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. And, and, and I'm thinking of Jesus as my intercessor, and I'm thinking you know, that uh, he's still faithful to forgive me. And I'm thinking that I'm so weak on my own, but Christ fills my weakness with his strength. Right? I'm thinking all of those things as I'm singing. So my worship is deeper. Right? It, there's, there's a depth, there's a, there's a, there's a weight to it. And so, uh, some, because, and I say that to say, often people will, will leave a worship service and feel good. Their emotions got riled up. And they felt, and, and the band was just on point that day, you know. 
Um, and uh, the slides were just, you know, immaculately done. And, and the sound, the mix was just right. And it was just good. People were singing. You know, there was somebody behind me that had a good voice. And they were harmonizing. And Man, it was nice today. But, uh, but and, and then that person will, will, will think worship was really good. Well, what did you sing about? What was your understanding? Where was your heart? See, that's not the gauge. Spirit and truth is the gauge. Okay. Uh, well, and, and that, that connects to also the songs that we choose, right? So it's not just the, the new hip song. It's not just, you know, Hillsong put out a new song and it's great. It's number one on the billboards and we got to sing that. Everybody's singing that. No, no, no. We will not sing <laughs> garbage here. Uh, not only because of the, the, the ministry that's behind it and the lives that are behind it, but, but, the, but the truths often are just shallow. And, you know, broken clock can be right twice a day. Anyways, I'm getting... Uh, you must have a correct, deep theology of God's goodness and His grace. The richer and deeper your knowledge of God, the richer and deeper your worship of Him. God's revelation, by the way, determines truth. So, how do I know that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking deeply and worshiping deeply? Does it agree with Scripture? Am I singing the truths of the Word of God? If you are, then you're well on your way. Uh, William Gurnall says, Indeed, if the fountain of doctrine be destroyed and the worship become idolatrous, in that case, God goes before us and calls all the faithful after him to come out from the communion of such a church. You see, the fountain, William understood this, a fountain of worship is doctrine, is truth. And then, if that's true... If, if the doctrine, the fountain of doctrine becomes poisoned by false teaching, then what happens? Then the worship is idolatrous. So there are plenty of churches around the world that are thinking that they're worshiping the true God, but they're worshiping their own fabrication of a God. This is what God is to me. You've heard that before, haven't you? This is what God is to me. Or you start to talk about sin. Well, I don't think that my God would do that. Right? I don't think my God would send people to hell. I don't think my God would, would sovereignly elect people. That's not my God. Well, you've, you have a God of your own fabrication. What is that? That's an idol. Right? You might as well carve that God into a block of wood. It's a false god, and you're engaging in idolatry if you are worshiping the false god. So to guard you, you need to understand who God is, right? That you need to know, you need to have an ever-increasing and deepening theology of God. And this is so important because on his own, sinful man will have, always have self-conceived ideas of God. If you don't inform yourself of who God is, 
by studying and reading the Word of God and reading systematic theologies and things along that, those lines, you by default will begin to create your own God. So you can't trust yourself. You can't trust your mind to just think all the right thoughts about God. You need to get back in the Word, wash your mind with the Word. You need to, to renew your mind with the Word uh, so that you are making sure that each Sunday and each day throughout the week you are actually worshiping the right God, the true God, as He is revealed. Uh, again, C. Fernandez is helpful here. True worship is a response to and regulated by God's revelation of himself in Scripture and how he must be worshipped. He, he, he speaks in Yoda language sometimes. So it, worship is a response to God's revelation of himself in Scripture, right? And let me color code this for you. And worship is also regulated by how he says he must be worshipped. And we're going to have two lessons devoted to the regulative principle of worship. How do we worship? What's the mode? What's the method of our worship? Why do we do what we do on a Sunday morning? There's two lessons devoted to that. I won't address that this morning. But here, that first part, true worship is a response to God's revelation of himself in Scripture. That's in the importance of preaching. Right? We respond. That's why we have a song after the preaching is because we got to respond to what we just heard. And I hope that that's your mindset when we do, when the band does come up after that pastoral prayer at the end of the sermon. That needs to be your mindset. It's not time for you to get your keys for your car. It's not time for you to pack up. It's not time for you to get the kids in order. It's not time for you to start heading out the door and being the traffic. It's time for you to respond. See, there, there's, there's intent. We don't just have a song after the sermon because that's what people do. It's time to respond. I got to worship because of what I just heard. Hopefully that's the result of each sermon. I know sometimes it's just I survived that thing. <laughs> But for the most part, the, the intent is that uh, the word of God, the truth of God will just, you'll just, just begin to swell up with worship and you just got to get it out. You just got to worship. You got to respond. You got to tell God how great he is and how thankful you are. All right. Uh, the, the last point is um, preeminence of worship. We won't go there. Uh, but I was basically uh, addressing this the whole time. You can jot down a few verses Isaiah 43, verse 6 to 7. Isaiah 43, verse 6 and 7. Uh, shows us that we are created, we're made to worship. Okay, that's, that's why you were created. Again, Isaiah 43, 6 to 7. You were made to worship, created to worship. And then Revelation 5. Revelation 5, uh, verse 11 to 14. I mean, that's just one of the spots, but Revelation 5, 11 to 14 uh, shows us that worship is an eternal reality. So you're made to worship, and it's going to be forever. Worship is forever. 
uh, it's what you're going to be doing for all eternity in heaven. All right. Let me close with a good quote. That's always good, right? Let me close with a good quote from Stephen Charnock. He's, he, he gets it. Uh, God is a spirit. Right? So we're going back to the original verse, John 4. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So Stephen Charnock here fleshes that out. God is a spirit, infinitely happy. Therefore, we must approach him with cheerfulness. He's a spirit of infinite majesty. Therefore, we must come before him with reverence. And then uh, he has a spirit infinitely high. Therefore, we must offer up our sacrifices with the deepest humility. He is a spirit infinitely holy. Therefore, we must address him with purity. He goes on, he is a spirit infinitely glorious. We must therefore acknowledge his excellency in all that we do and in our measure contribute to his glory by having the highest aims in his worship. And then he closes, he is a spirit infinitely provoked by us, right, in his righteousness and justice and wrath. Therefore, we must offer our worship in the name of a pacifying mediator and intercessor. That is, we must worship through Christ. So God is all these wonderful things, but he is also a righteous and holy and just God. And praise God that we can even come before that God and worship him. How? If we worship him through Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, making a way for us to come and to worship you. Oh, Lord, you have given us uh, access and the ability to do exactly what we were made for. Oh, Lord, not many people can say that, that I've, that I've found what I've been made to do. And when I do this, I find so much fulfillment. And I am reaching my full potential. Not many people can say that in this world, but your people can if they worship you in spirit and truth. We're, when we sing to you, when we worship you, God, we are doing, we are, we are, we are actually doing what we were, we were made to do. We're running on all cylinders. We, are, we, we don't have any uh, limitations on us, as it were. There's, we are, our hearts are fully engaged. Our minds are involved, Lord, and we see you for who you really are. Though it's not fully. But even those glimpses, Lord, thank you for those glimpses into your glory. Help us, Lord, to respond with our hearts. May it come out of our mouths. I pray, Lord, that we would be a worshiping people. That people, people would be, uh, visitors would be taken aback at how just engaged and exuberant our worship is. Oh, Lord, Give us a song to sing. Give us hearts that worship you rightly. And may we even put this into practice in this next hour. May we do what we just learned. And may, may you get all the glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.